Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolov. Alec, I'm so excited to hear your voice. It's been a long time since we've been connected. How, how are you doing? How's your quarantine going? Oh my God. Quarantine schmarantine. <laughs> right. How are you? I get in there. Take it well, day you, by day, you know? Yeah, me too. I, uh, you know, Eric and I both got pretty sick, but you've got the whole family there, don't you? Yeah, you know, um, when this whole thing started to develop, I got my mom out of the city. You know, she's 84 years old, so she's out with me. And then my son came out out of Brooklyn. And then now my daughter and her girlfriend came from the Hudson Valley. So we got a full house, playing a lot of board games, doing a lot of laundry, doing all the stuff. And, um, you know, everybody's, what's interesting is actually everybody's got their, um, their own anxieties and their own uh, worries and, and are, are kind of combating those with a, a much greater moment history for all of us, which, you know, is kind of makes sense, something that truly is uh, not just generational, but maybe centennial, you know. Absolutely. And uh, and that's why when I say that Eric and I were sick, whether this airs today, Easter Sunday, or whether it's airing five years from now, I think people will know what I mean. You now know, you I, you it's had, one of the reasons... You you had corona, right? Oh, yeah. I went and had the test, but it came back negative, but I, I had a fever for three weeks. But, um, you know, I kind of want to talk about uh, our guest today is it's really fascinating because here we are, Easter, Passover, whatever it is, it has to do with rebirth and starting over and the change of seasons and the time for planting, the time to be honoring Mother Earth and for things to be growing. And uh, and our guest today, Ray Christ, has had a really fascinating rebirth of his own. He'll correct me when he comes on, but... Uh, 15 or 16 years ago, here he was, this very successful fashion photographer, got a death sentence in the form of a, a cancer diagnosis and has since completely shifted his life around and become a uh, a shaman. We'll find out what that means. And uh, a leader and teacher of other shaman. Now, you also have pulled a, a, a 180 sock um, moving back to the East Coast and everything. Talk about that for a minute. For me... Uh, and I think that with the best of intentions, we all play roles in our lives and we're all conditioned to think that our lives have certain um, values and purposes. And then uh, along the way, I think there's an inner voice that, that kind of I was certainly hearing when I was out in L.A. and I was screenwriting and raising my family out there. And uh, it was really, uh, I was in conflict and uh, through any number of, of reasons and circumstances and did make the move east, which I'm blessed to have done, uh, you know, offering new challenges, but really just more mindfulness as far as, uh, you know, and kind of know why I do anything. Uh, you know, you had mentioned Easter before and, and Passover, and, and I know that they take place in the spring, but I, I see Passover kind of as, as a, uh, you know, as a chance to kind of practice this idea of, uh, the expectations, not so much faith, but the expectations that there are better days ahead and, and that you have to sometimes kind of go through things and, and submit to your faith to get there. And, and Easter, even though I've never practiced uh, that religion, I, I think the best of Easter that I get summed up with, you know, you can't get to Easter Sunday without Good Friday, without the crucifixion. And so you've got to have bad times before you have good times. And I think that that's part of maybe the growth that we all go through. Well, that sounds like a perfect way to introduce our guest. Um, we are all socially distant, and uh, 
counting on our brilliant producer, Kyle, to kind of bring this all together. But Ray, you are in Costa Rica and welcome to Sundays on the East End. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Alec. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, I am uh, taking the time. Absolutely. Uh, Seems like time is something I have a lot of lately. (laughs) Like you said, my, my wife and I opted to quarantine ourselves here in Costa Rica. It's an interesting journey. Just even that. Let's start with let's start with that and go backwards. I mean, you guys went to Costa Rica. You guys got married on February 20th and then went right into a shaman training. And it like you got quarantined, like they closed the borders, like the day you stopped or something, right? So this is this is your honeymoon. Yeah, we actually had to end our training a little bit uh, earlier than uh, the date that was it was supposed to end, uh, and we got everyone evacuated out of the country. For us, we live a life of uh, traveling and teaching since uh, our workshops, uh, Kripal, and our trainings were are being postponed for the time being. We didn't have any specific reason to be back there, back home. So uh, we made the jungle here in uh, Nosara, Costa Rica, our, our new home for a bit. And have you had a long-term relationship with Costa Rica? Is there a reason why that's the destination for you? I came here 12 years ago and decided that it was beautiful and a place to live, but I needed to complete a mission I had before I would come back. And here we are 12 years later. My mission has been launched. Not completed, but definitely is launched and is alive in the world, the Jaguar Path, and teaching yoga, shamanism, and martial arts as ways of being and ways of engaging with life. And we can talk more about that. So with with that completed and the Jaguar Path being alive and then online trainings, etc., it's easy for us to now uh, work from anywhere in the world that we we want. Cool, and and I think it'd be fair to say that in the practicing of your mission, you are completing your mission. There's no finish line, right? I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the, the completion I was looking for was to have it launched, to yeah. be out in the world. And, and that part is is completed. We we are in the world and we travel to, uh, to Greece, to Peru, to the Virgin Islands and Costa Rica. Uh, and we offer trainings out of our studio, or we have been offering trainings out of our studio in Lenox, Massachusetts. And both uh, Nina and I are senior teachers at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, and we've been offering and, trainings and, and workshops and, there. And, and Bridget, I know you you and Eric have gone up to Kripalu. I've, I've been up in Lenox, and I've driven past it. I, I know the campus, but I've never been there. Uh, is there any oh. way to talk about the history and, and uh, what just what Kripalu is? What Kripalu uh, was named after, um, it was an ashram originally, wasn't it, uh, Ray? Correct, yes. Swami Kripalu, the guru. Uh, but it changed its, it changed its model in, uh, around year 2000 and became a, an open center for people that want to study anything around yoga and health. Well, you know what? I, we're going to so, take so, a little so break. Before we go, we're on something yeah. cool here. Uh, so it's agnostic. <laughs> As long as one is on a journey of a certain discipline. It's not about one philosophy as much as it's about kind of the, the unifying principle to, to be uh, kind of under yoga or under a greater belief system of practice in life. If, you, if one is practicing, they're welcome. It's just, it doesn't have a, uh, a dogma. It doesn't really, and uh, that, that's why I would not call it a belief system. I feel that yoga 
shamanism and many of the martial arts are deeply mystical studies. They're ancient studies and uh, they're essentially disciplines exactly to create a framework for the mind, a way of thinking and a way of applying thoughts and practices to keep both the body and the mind, the soul in tune with each other and uh, above the collective consciousness to be able to surf in a, and live in, in a different way than the collective does. And in that way, I totally agree with you. It is agnostic. Uh, and it doesn't, all, all mysticism meets. May that be Christianity, may that be yoga, maybe the shamans, the Buddhists, uh, those who go deep into the studies find that the studies are all one and the same. And that is truly what one of the things, um, because I am a student of Ray's uh, sock, as you know, is the amazing kind of ancient awakening that seemed to happen across the globe almost simultaneously, if you call like, you know, five or six hundred years simultaneous in the blink of an eye. But like the chakras and yoga going on in, in India while uh, in China there was acupuncture and the, and the meridians and the, in South America, the same thing, the rivers of the body. I want to take a, a short break here and come back and, and have Ray tell his story because Ray was literally given three months to live. And yet here he is. So maybe we should take a little break. We're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Joining us Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. Alex Bacalo is still here. I'm Yay, sitting on my, we're all I'm still sitting here. On my, so my house has a third floor. My house was built by somebody that's not a builder, and he kind of piecemealed it together. But there's a third floor kind of widow's peak, and so I'm sitting on the deck, and I'm in the sun, and it's April. And I'm seeing the buds on the trees, and it's really hard to believe that the entire globe has come to a screeching halt because of this virus. Um, and yet it's definitely uh, present in every other waking thought in some way. So um, happy to have this interlude. Yes, I, I think the earth might need this interlude. And I want to ask, um, bring Ray into our conversation about his journey. Can you can you tell us how you, this all began for you, Ray, and the, how the Jaguar path began? I'll be more than happy to, Bridget. I feel that for me, it's... Uh, Really interesting. Lately, I've been, uh, every time I try to write the date down, 2020, I keep on writing 2002. I'm making a little dyslexic mistake there, 2002 instead of 2020. And I, by the third or fourth time I did it, I realized that that was the date that I was diagnosed with cancer. So in 2002, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer that had moved 
through both my kidneys and spread to my liver and lungs. And when the doctors saw those first scans, they said that characteristically, the doctor said it's MS and that he does not foresee me being able to live more than nine months. And I say this thing about the dates because for me, this that's happening now in 2020 is awakens the same emotions that I felt like earlier Alec was saying how all this has brought the whole world in a screeching halt and that's what happened when I was diagnosed my whole life came to a screeching halt nothing mattered I couldn't do anything that mattered other than what was most important which is always for all of us a matter of life or death Right. And before your diagnosis, if you could define or describe what life were you living, what path were you on before you get hit with this life? Well, a very different one, <laughs> very different one from now. I was a very successful fashion and advertising photographer in Athens, Greece. I uh, did anything from uh, Vogue covers to billboards uh, across the, the, the country and, uh, and, and sometimes across Europe. I considered my life to be successful, but it's really, really clear that my life was stressful. Uh, anyone that knows anything about photography and advertisement in the fashion world it is a very, very, very stressful industry to be in. I did not work ever less than 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, so there was a big success, but there was a big taxation on my nervous system, on my immune system, and obviously my entire health because while I thought I was living a successful career and created a big name for myself, my body seemed to feel differently having uh, created all this cancer meant that I was, this whole other part of me, my soul was in dis-ease. So here I was again in a screeching halt. And what, uh, what form of cancer uh, were you diagnosed with? It was diagnosed as bilateral renal carcinoma that had spread to my liver and my lungs and they say when renal carcinoma is generally tends to spread a lot at once because they filter the the blood that there's a lot of blood that moves through the kidneys it tends to spread out throughout the body so again i was given about 90 days to live and i was uh, immediately the doctor said we should start moving and getting on to some surgeries you're going to need to do a few surgeries one after the other, uh, with giving some space between them. He said, we have to be really strategic about how we go about this because it could be at the end that the surgeries would kill me rather than the cancer itself if it just exhaust me. So that was kind of your darkest moment, right? Uh, yeah, well, that was the beginning of a, of a dark moment that lasted a couple years. It was a long moment. Which is better than the three months that it was supposed to last. So that's awesome. Did you go forward with the surgery? It was, Alec, it was the biggest gift that I've ever received in my life. No, actually, I asked the doctor if he could give me a few minutes to take all this in. As he exited the room and took a right, I quickly picked up my stuff, exited, took a left, and drove <laughs> out to the back door. Screeching <laughs> out of the parking lot and said this never happened and I started at the time I was studying Chinese medicine so I started studying took a dive into the herbs so I collected herbs from northern Greece where, where Greece where I lived from I would drive up north to Delphi collect herbs I did acupuncture I changed major things in my lifestyle I upped my yoga I put the all the photography lights aside and made my studio into a yoga studio 
and practice meditation, yoga. I did acupuncture again to myself. Did the herbs and well, uh, you did and then about a year later, I was a student of acupuncture. So uh, essentially, with the help of my teacher, I was uh, okay. I was guided to what points to use, and and I was continuing to learn deeper in in acupuncture by this guidance of what to do for my case so, point. But you know, it's interesting, Ray, because I didn't know the exact timeline, but you were already a seeker. So you were already a seeker when you received the diagnosis. And the diagnosis the is, is yeah. almost what made you dive deeper into the shamanism and mysticism that is clearly the Jaguar path, uh, the path that you created. Mm -hmm. Exactly, okay. exactly. Right, but let's, let's go back to this because you're given this news. Yes. You decide not to, you know, uh, follow the more Western thought, which, you know, I always uh, had heard about surgeons. It's kind of like to a, to a hammer, the entire world looks like a nail. And so surgeons will always say operate and oncologists will always say medicate. And yet you are like, well, I'm taking control of my life. And if this is what I have, I'm going to go out fighting the way I want to fight. And you instead go more Eastern, if you will, and you go more into the holistic and overwhelmingly internal, I will heal myself. Absolutely, absolutely. And here, both as a disclaimer and to clarify and something that uh, became very clear for me as many things became clear when I had to stop working. And eventually a year later, I, I left the country and decided that I should do more CAT scans and MRIs and see where I'm at. And I visited John Hopkins. Uh, I was happy to be alive, but I didn't know what was happening inside me. So I went to John Hopkins and I did a series of CAT scans and MRIs. And when the doctor saw them there, he shook his head very sadly and he said, I'm really sorry. And I said, well, what does that mean? Is there nothing we could do? He said, well, why didn't you do anything a year ago when you were first diagnosed? I said, well, I didn't. Now what can we do? And he shook his head. He was really polite, very sweet and sad. He he said to me that I am really sorry. I think the best thing you should do is just take care of your affairs. Don't leave too many things behind for others to do for you after your death. Now, I'll fast forward to this and say that, first of all, I wasn't feeling it. I didn't know if I was in total denial or I was just not really feeling that that was my truth. And here comes a disclaimer because this is a really important part to be clear. I didn't go for surgery because I really believed in Chinese medicine and Chinese medicine says do not go with a diagnosis, go with a holistic way. And I wanted to avoid the whole thing of the Western medicine. But they did call me a week later from John Hopkins and they asked me if I wanted to participate in a study in the National Institute of Health and do one surgery there. So. Uh, soon after, I did one surgery and gave up my right kidney, which was what seemed to be the the first place that cancer had appeared because it was a very big tumor there. But the funny thing is that my final decision came from a shaman. As I began to travel to Mexico to find shamans to help me heal, a shaman rattled in front of my body across my torso. And every time he'd come by my right side to my right kidney area, my right rib cage, he would stop, pause, and he said to me, Hermano, we can work with this. My dear brother, we can work with all this, but this on the right side, the shamans up north can help you only. And this, I, I, you know, having traveled so much I, and to, to seek guidance and help and healers, I said, up north, do you mean like Alaska? I kind of saw myself with, on a sled <laughs> with dogs 
looking for Inuits. And he said, no, hermanito. He looked at me as if I was a fool. And he said, no, in Estados Unidos, in the United States. I said, there's no surgeons in the United States. He said, there are. They're called no shaman, surgeons. No shaman. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no shamans. They're so called they're, surgeons. They are. They're called shamans and they're called surgeons. Yes. So I did have one surgery out of the four or five that were theoretically going to be aligned for me. And I'm really grateful. And uh, looking back today, I know that if I did not have that surgery, I would not be alive today. But here is where the important thing comes in that I have to say. That if I had not worked with the shamans post-surgery, I would not be alive here today. If I had just returned back to my life and then tried to do more surgeries, cancer would have come back. Because cancer is, is, is a sign of your body, of your soul living a life that's not on task. So basically after my surgery, I dove in and I healed all of the other um, ailments, tumors and uh, growths that were in my body. And I had the opportunity because I had done my, uh, my, by this time now we're talking, we're in 2005, January 2005. I begin to travel to Peru and I'm working with shamans. I know that what Ray is about to tell is just about my favorite story ever about anything, about when he went down to Peru, down to UK. It's like one of my favorite stories, but this would probably be a good place for us to take another little break. All right. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolo. <laughs> and we have our guest, Ray Christ of The Jaguar Path. You can find it online. It's thejaguarpath.com. You're listening to us on 883wppb.org. We're coming to you. As always, sponsored by the Bridgehampton Inn, although we are not there right now. The website is bridgehamptoninn.com. You can learn more about the inn and restaurant on their website. And we will be right back after this. Everybody, you are listening to Sundays on the East End at 88.3 on your radio dial, number one in your hearts, and uh, uh, 88.3 org, PBS, something, something on the internet. Oh my God. I don't know. I, I don't pay Kyle, attention to that. I'll cut that part. No, don't cut it. This is a, hey, we're, we're part of the WNET family now. They, we are. Thank God. WLIW. We finally belong to. Uh, an organization I'd be willing to, to be a member of. So uh, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm Alex Sokolow. And I'm Bridget Leroy. And we're talking with our guest, Ray Christ from the Jaguar Path. I just want to interject right here, Sock, because you remember back in September when I went back to Kapalu for the first time in uh, 12 years or something. And I walked into, I like to put air quotes around it, the wrong classroom. 
I thought I was going to learn about making an altar in my house. And I had just written the piece for the independent about creating sacred spaces. And it was called creating sacred space. And I walked in and I'm in the front row because otherwise my ADD gets me. I can't concentrate if I'm in the back row. I have to be at the front. And this guy walks in with his little earring and, uh, <laughs> and starts talking about shamanism. And I'm like, how do I get out of here? And he hooked me. And uh, I want Ray to tell, tell the story about his trip to Peru and the little old man that he met, not really so little and old, but uh, it's a wonderful story. So, Ray, if you, if you could share with us your introduction to your uh, sensei, your shaman, I would love hmm. that. I'll be more than, than happy to, Bridget. So, uh, yeah, I traveled through Mexico looking for shamans to work with. I worked with several. Then I traveled down to Peru. Uh, a friend of mine told me that I was going to be able to find a shaman in this little town called Yukai in the center of the Sacred Valley. So I looked and looked and looked. I didn't find anyone. I asked around. Uh, there is a little bit more of a normal thing. You can ask uh, <laughs> around the neighborhood uh, convenience store. Do you know if a shaman is around? And I couldn't find someone. Uh, I was kind of disappointed. I was living in this place called Casona de Yukai. It's a really nice uh, little place, hotel. And I was practicing yoga in the backyard. And this old man just came and sat and watched me practice yoga. And he said, what are you doing? I'm, I said, yoga in my little Spanish. <laughs> uh, I'm going to fast forward because of the constriction of time and say, I didn't pay attention to this old man, but he was there the second day. And he asked me again, what are you doing? And I just said to him, you know what? I'm doing gymnastics from India. And between my Spanish, I knew the word gymnastics. And India, I thought it would maybe give him an idea of what this is. You know, little did I know the third day he was there again. I was kind of getting a little bit uh, uh, tired with this. I was just like, I want to find a shaman. I don't want to talk to you. I would rather have my privacy when I'm doing my yoga practice. This is weird. But this time he asked me, do you know what you're doing? And that really paused me. I was in warrior two and I just froze. I turned around and with, again, my very little Spanish at the time said, I really don't know what I'm doing. Why don't you tell me? And to my surprise, the old man stood up, walked up to me and he started drawing lines about an inch away from my body, starting down from my feet, pointing from my ankles and rising his, bring his hand up saying, you are opening the rivers of your body. And as the tides rise, the exit, the windows of the self to tell the cosmos who you are and what you want. Now, if you're at all, uh, uh, if you at all practice yoga, you will know, like I did at the moment, that that was perhaps that is perhaps one of the best descriptions of what yoga is that I've ever heard uh, before that and after that till today. So I kind of grabbed onto him. I said, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? Tell me more. And long story short, this guy turned out to be uh, the shaman I was supposed to be able to find. He had found me. And this was the beginning of a beautiful friendship, a beloved friendship till today, and, and an apprenticeship with Don Manuel Portugal, who is a, essentially a, what do you call it, a curandero, a nagual, a very powerful and very, very sweet human being. Tell me about his lineage, because there are shamans and yogis all over the world. Where, like, what, 
uh, I guess, what form or what tribe or whatever does does Don Manuel belong to? First of all, I, I want to say this because you said this. I want to repeat that you said this. There are shamans around the world. One of the things that I was feeling, and I will get to Manuel for sure, but one of the things that I was, I was thinking when I set out to find a shaman to heal me, I thought that I was going to be looking for something that's almost extinct or totally really hard to find. And to my surprise, uh, uh, through Mexico, through Peru, I found uh, many, many, many shamans. It was something that I could do every day and, and find. There were all kinds of levels of shamans. Some people were just kind people trying to help. Some of them had a lot of deep knowledge. Some of them had amazing deep knowledge and power. I'm going to keep this really simple for the uninitiated like myself. One gets defined as a shaman, not by necessarily a hierarchy, an institution or whatever, a Western thought. One is on their own journey, has mentors, uh, has a practice, and at a certain point, almost organically becomes a healer and is able to kind of connect dots for other people. Is that, would that be a fair way of describing what makes a shaman a shaman? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I presented to Manuel, listen, I have cancer and I want you to heal me. The first thing he said is, I can't heal you, but I can train you to be a shaman and you can heal yourself. And that's what brings it out of dogma or out of institutions. It's about allowing this part that we all have inside to awaken and allow that part of ourselves, the shaman or the awakened one within, to take over life rather than what we call the narrator of the mind that goes along with the collective consciousness that wants to belong to bigger dogmas or to belong to right. institutions or things that are structured by the collective consciousness. Right. But shamans through and through say that that is the way of, of the crowd, that is the way of, the, of falling into what yoga calls samsara, an illusionary way of living. Right, brilliant. And so, forgive me for this, I'm really fascinated by this, this one thing though. So is that, you know, you're at your moment in your journey, you've had your diagnosis, you've had a year of trying to somehow self-regulate, and you've stayed alive, you know, uh, outdid what the doctors initially thought. You saw another doctor, and ultimately might have been life-saving. But then you say, I'm going to heal myself. And what were the additions to your life in that in those moments that allowed you to take control of your your body and your soul in a different way well alec what i did is i stayed i stayed there uh, in peru for the first time i was there i was over three months a lot of the work and then i kept on going back and forth between peru and back home to the states what my new home in the states a lot of the practices that we did were collecting herbs we would go through several herbs, herbs that cleared out the kidneys, herbs to clear out the lungs, herbs to clear out the liver. Uh, of course, I'd have my yoga practice and, and meditation. Along with that, I received a lot of healing sessions from Manuel himself. What I want to, to bring this to, of course, is I feel, um, and, and people who know me and who don't know me know that I, I've chosen to live you know, a clean and sober life for the last 20-something years. And um, you say shaman, and you especially say Peruvian shaman to a lot of people, maybe millennials or something, and the first thing they think is ayahuasca. And um, it is possible to be a shaman without taking an ayahuasca journey, but you have taken it. I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I would love to hear a little bit about that for you, because I know that that was a, a another mind-bending experience. 
it was a, a mind and reality exploding experience, uh, Bridget. <laughs> Uh, I I I'm gonna have to say that yes, I believe that ayahuasca is not uh, the only way to become a shaman. You can be a shaman without taking ayahuasca. But for me, at the time, one of the things that Manuel guided me is he sent me to a friend of his, and I ventured down uh, the river Madre de Dios and into the jungle of Peru, where and close to the borders of Bolivia and Peru, and worked with an ayahuasquero by the name of Maestro Panduro, who I deeply bow to in gratefulness. Ayahuasca was what I called my chemotherapy. Ayahuasca does several things. One of the things that it does is what Chinese medicine would call a scraper. It goes inside the internal organs. It super alkalizes the internal organs and scrapes any toxins from the inside. So it's a great purger. Uh, you purge. Uh, so Literally. to clarify, to clarify, it, it is not a recreational drug. Uh, there's actually nothing recreational about it. There's a lot of purging and suffering and a lot of work that happens while you're in a ceremony of ayahuasca or also known as a grandmother ceremony. So that's been a very big part uh, of changing the chemistry of my body, alkalizing my internal organs. Uh, it is well known that an, an alkaline environment is not uh, conducive to cancer or to any sort of bacteria or any sort of disease, actually. So that alkalizing of my body was very, very important. At the same time, uh, if you want, the active ingredient, of course, if Maestro Panduro was here, he would, uh, <laughs> he would yell at me. It's not an active ingredient. It's a spirit. But the active spirit or ingredient, whatever you want to call it, is dimethyl tryptamine, and that's something that our, we produce in our own body. And that is what our pineal gland secretes. And, and when we, so the, it is a really good question here, Alec, because this is really like hugely important to what a shaman is and how that can really actually shift one's life. Uh, so the pineal gland secretes two hormones. On one hand, dimethyl tryptamine, and on the other hand, it also secretes melatonin. So melatonin puts the body to sleep, and dimethyltryptamine takes the brain to a whole other wavelength and raises you, brings you, first of all, to the dream world, right? So every night when we go to sleep, the pineal gland starts secreting DMT, dimethyltryptamine, and you begin to move into, this, into the dream world. The dream world for the shamans is clearly the forefront, the forerum of the spirit world. Because then, as you take ayahuasca, you're taking about a hundred or maybe a thousand times more dimethyltryptamine than your pineal <laughs> gland would secrete. Right. So it so blasts gates, you the to gates, the other the side. Gates are, the gates are wide <laughs> open. It is called the death vine because that is the moment that you're experiencing, you're dying. And if you've heard of people that had near-death experiences, you witness your whole life. And when you see your whole life pass in front of you, you arrest, you see the moments that were hurtful moments that were key moments that really changed the chemistry of your body. Moments that you felt such sag sadness or anger that you literally poisoned yourself by secreting so much of that sadness within your own system. Literally poisoned yourself by secreting so much anger in your own system. Now, I just want to say this one thing, and I'm open to more questions about it. I want to say that the pineal gland is what gives Jesus his halo. 
The pineal gland is what gives the flame from the crown of Lord Shiva. And if you've seen the, the, the Hindu god Shiva's uh, statues. The pineal gland is what gives Buddha his pine cone hairdo. <laughs> it is an element of absolute mysticism that it is important to increase and tap into our pineal gland in order to be able to open the crown of our head to receive the connection with the divine energy and step into the selfless, be like the Christ, be like Krishna or Shiva or the Buddha. So it allows different centers of the brain to open so you're much clearer in what you're thinking and how you go about things. God, it's so fascinating. Right? Aren't you blown away, Sock? Yeah, no, this is spectacular. <laughs> and and what I could say, how I relate to this is in my own attempt at opening up and being more mindful and being more connected to the universe in some way, there are those, what I would say, are passing or fleeting moments where somehow that connection uh, just makes you feel so comforting and comforted and I know that I'm on the right path. And then there are other moments when... Uh, my my mind is fluttered with uh, with nonsense, and uh, in those moments, I'm I'm as isolated as, as I've ever been. So I, I I connect to what you're saying on that level, which is really connecting with the universe. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it's so weird to realize. I I mean, to me, just being even though we're all on the phone, <laughs> being with both of you, and you all know, of course, EJ. Everybody knows my husband, Eric. But to be with Alec, who We've been friends since we were like 11 years old. We went to the high school prom together and here we are together talking about spiritualism and mindfulness and to have my, my teacher, Ray, since I am also studying shamanism with Ray and Nina and the Jaguar Path. And Ray, can you just tell us a little bit about Mesa Carriers? Because that is what I am part of that lineage uh, in your footsteps and you follow the footsteps of uh, Don Manuel, can you tell us a little about what the Mesa carriers are? Where were, like, where have they been during the last, you know, 200 years or whatever? 500 years. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I worked again, so I worked with three lineages. One is a Nagwell, if you want, the Curadero Manuel. The other one was Maestro Panduro, who was the Ayahuasquero, the Ayahuasca ceremonies in the jungle. And I returned to the Sacred Valley and I, I met with this wonderful human being called Don Francisco. The Caros are the shamans of the Sacred Valley and the shamans of the Andes. When the conquistadors arrived in, I want to say, 1435 in Peru, the Caros, who were essentially the Inca shamans, saw the conquistadors and knew that they, that meant the death of an era. And what they did is that they took off for the mountains and they went up to from the sacred valley, which is at around nine to 10,000 feet. They went up to 16 and 18,000 feet and set up 12 villages, the Caro Nation villages. Now, I think it is really, really important because what these people did is basically they, they disappeared. They were never found and they started coming down from the Caro Nation villages in the late 60s and early 70s. So what happened is that they kept intact this beautiful language, Quechua, and all their beliefs in shamanic work that they do, which is absolutely earth-centered, with the first and foremost important part, the love for the feminine, the appreciation and respect and love for Mother Earth, Pachamama. 
they have they respect and the love for the animals and learn and watch and do power animal work and they have a love and respect for all of life and basically for the idea of understanding the magic of life so the the lineage i've studied with besides uh my my venture within uh, ayahuasca seeking and clearing seeking within my own psyche and clearing my own body the work that i did with manuel of changing a uh, way of thinking and how i acted and engaged in the world the, the heart uh, of my work in the jaguar path work comes from the caros who are mesa carriers the mesa is basically a cloth that the women weave uh usually from llama wool and it is basically the shaman's medicine bundle and I've learned from them and created and brought this. I've been pushed by them, encouraged. I have received the three initiations of becoming, first of all, in the beginning, a Pampo Mesayok, that Mesa carrier of the valley. Later, years later, five years later, I became an Alto Mesayok, the Mesa carrier of the Andes of the mountains. And, and around 2017, I was initiated as an Alto Messiah, which made me an elder of the tribe. I know I'm still white and I do not claim to be anything else. I am humbled and honored to have received this initiation. And I have also stepped forward uh, with all my heart and all my seriousness to take on the task to be initiated as an elder of the Caro tribe means that I am obliged to Mother Earth. My work is to spread the the love for Mother Earth, the understanding that we need to see her as a living organism and begin to treat her in a different way so she can uh, be in a place that she can give us all the gifts that she constantly right. and does. So, and not, not so, to put you on a spot in this moment in history, certainly you know, nobody wants to see anybody suffer or, or, or die from uh, this, this pandemic, but uh, among the many places where I find there are gifts in this moment is I actually feel a stronger collective consciousness in that area you described. People are, are seem to suddenly have been shocked into paying much more attention at the moment to the fact that we all are all connected and that we are all connected on this, this planet and that as the planet goes, so, so ultimately will go all of us. I couldn't agree with you more. I think there, it's really interesting. It's, it, it is it is true. It's just like it's almost this pause and collective fear of death of, of, of the pandemic coming allows each individual to to live their own personal uh, near death experience. Mm. When we come to that, basically, I, I forgot to mention dimethyltryptamine is secreted also the moment we're born and the moment we die. That description of people saying that they see their whole life in front of their eyes. That's what happens with ayahuasca because your mind blasts DMT at the moment of death, so it opens your the gates and understanding of all these realms. So the same thing happens, and that is the result of near-death experiences. There's a part of us that awakens, and A, now it awakens to understand that we are all one. The Buddha has been saying it, all these teachers, the Dalai Lama has been saying it, no one's realizing it. Now we get to realize it. Very well said, Alec, from this, that we're all in one one planet. We all can live or we die together. Uh, but at the same time, I feel that, that I hope is a personal awakening for each person. Because 
that's where the awakening needs to happen on an individual level. The collective uh, healing happens as a result of each individual awakening. That's what I want to lead into with our, our last uh, section, which is coming up, which is, Ray, uh, here you are at the feet of the masters or now becoming a master yourself. And I know the story, of course, where, because uh, you've told it to me many times and I love it and I have a big smile on my face when you said, how should you teach? So when we come back after our last break, we want to discuss how you left the Peruvian jungle and how you founded Jaguar Path and how anyone who's listening right now can become a shaman, which is a, a healer of the Mother Earth, a healer of themselves, a healer of others, and how to spread their luminous field and for all of us to be connected. So let's take another a short break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sakalu. <laughs> I knew you were there somewhere. And you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB FM Long Island's only local NPR station. You can also stream us online at 883WPPB.org. We are supported by the Bridgehampton Inn, which is at BridgehamptonInn.com. And we are speaking with Ray Christ of the Jaguar Path. And we will be right back after this. Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. Alex Sakalo. Alex Sakalo. And we are. Alec, Alec Von Sakalo. And Bridget. I'm actually, actually, Alex <laughs> Dove Sakalo. But if I was a Von, His I'd middle name is a Dove. Jewish, a Jewish peasant to German royalty. I was so close to <laughs> Well, it's, you're only changing one letter Dove, Von. It's kind of like backwards, you know? I were diving into so much of it. But Ray, I got to ask you this is like, this is the question that's like at the tip of my tongue, okay? Has your relationship, I think death is a human construction. I don't think death is real. I think death is like something in my head that we have to assign as a far, in a way of, of just declaring it and then pushing it away or doing whatever. And so I'm kind of leading when I say this. Has your relationship to what happens when your physical being stops supporting your consciousness changed? Has your relationship to the universe, the idea that we're all living these lives, we're living in this moment, everybody is so afraid of catching an invisible microbe that would end their earthly existence. And I'm always curious to know, like when, you, when you're on your journey of higher consciousness, are you now seeing the entire experience differently? Or are you kind of accepting what it is in a more gentle way? Can you extrapolate on that, if possible? <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a good question, Alec. It's <laughs> the question of all time, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of all philosophers, of all theologists, of all religions, of all mystics. Uh, 
it, my my relationship, yes, has definitely changed uh, towards death. Uh, I want to say that again. I'll, I'll just say that ayahuasca is called the death vine, and you experience dying. So uh, from 2006 till 2012, 14, uh, I. Went into many ceremonies to heal and to clear my body from cancer. My experiences have changed my relationship to death, but I do want to say that more importantly, it has, it has changed my relationship to life itself. I don't want to go too deep into that experiences of death because anything about death can be hearsay. I agree with you. I don't think that it ends there, but what really ends is this body we're in and the name and the persona and uh, the, the, the role as a, Ray as a father, as a son, Ray as a teacher, Ray as a brother, a sister, Ray as a husband, uh, all that does this go. So there is a death to be reckoned with. That does go. Uh, do we continue? Yes, I do believe we continue. Uh, but I still believe that the more important thing that I've gotten out of the shamanic work is how do I really engage with life? And that's something that's really drastically changed and that I feel that I've gotten out of, out of this. How has your appreciation of your daily life, of your, of your consciousness, like what journey are you on with that? Because that, that to me is the whole ball of wax. Like, it's like, you know, Woody Allen once had a line about death or like, I'm not scared of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I think that so many people live their life fearing that moment when instead of embracing the moment they have. If I can jump in really quickly, I think that that's literally the next part of this discussion that's happening so organically because what Ray does with his life is he, oh, the most beautiful little goldfinch just landed right outside my window. I've got yellow bird mm -hmm. medicine. Anyway, um, but is that Ray was at, you know, here with the Caros and you asked them, right, how do I spread this? How do I teach shamanism? And what was their answer to you, Ray? Well, yeah, in essence, uh, as soon as I became an Alto Messiah, uh, the part of becoming a, a, the, the Andes, high Andes shaman is that you need to teach, offer healings and teachings to others. And I felt humbled and I did not feel that I was ready. I did not want as a white person to assume that I know the culture or I have the right. Uh, but their, their answer was when I said, well, how am I supposed to teach it? They said, teach it in English and teach it the way you can from the place you're at. And, and, and for me, that was a moment of awakening. I, I stepped in my gift, uh, paying it forward when I left the jungle and left the Andes, uh, which where I return to still every year, at least once a year, if not twice a year. And I spend time with my teachers. I spend time in the jungle and up in the Sacred Valley. The information I received was if I would want to stay alive, I needed to teach everyone what I had learned. And as long as I was to teach this Jaguar way of being, the shamanic way of being, cancer would simply not come back. And, and that has uh, been true so far. And I'm very happy to teach it in English. And again, what I mean by that is, uh, is that to teach it as a modern person, you know, I see sometimes some yogis that wear really like yoga clothes and malas and this or that, and they behave differently. And, and, and it's not about that. It's not about becoming a guru or like a guru. It's not about wearing malas or some kind of funny hat or interesting wand. 
but rather about thinking, beginning to think in a different way. And that thinking has everything to do with the chemistry of our brain and how we work. And that's where uh, the work of the Jaguar Path comes in. Through our trainings, we teach people uh, healing tools. And as you receive, as you learn these healing tools, you receive them and offer them to your co-students. And there is a shift and change of consciousness uh, through one tool after the other and a different way of viewing life and understanding life and how we are, which, uh, which automatically, progressively leads to an expansion of consciousness and a new way of thinking. So how are you able to do this now that we are in the process, and maybe by the time this airs by uh, Easter, we'll have a new, a new reality, but how are you progressing to initiate more shaman when you can't do it in person? How can people learn more about this? Well, in the same way, like my, uh, my teacher said, you could do it in English. So I'm hearing the spirit say, you can do it online. <laughs> so we are now in the process of actually finishing up. We have a seven-week training, online training, called the Seven Foundations of Inca Shamanism. Uh, and that is, again, launching on April 15th. Uh, it's going to be there available for anyone who wants after April 15th. Uh, seven, uh, seven sessions. You will be receiving one session per week that go through explaining the whole cos cosmology of the Incas to different specific tools using rattles, using crystals, using cord cutting knives, uh, and specific tools that help you heal. What I love about this work, and I have to say, as I'm bringing it in, I'm, I'm a skeptic, and I encourage always everyone to be a skeptic. The way I teach it is that I go into the mechanics of the endocrine system, uh, the meridian system of the body, and the nervous system of the body. I think it's really important. It has always been for me, as again, as a skeptic, to understand it on a practical level. This is not, this training doesn't need anyone's faith. It's not a belief system. It's not a religion at all. It is specific tools that can help you really uh, shift psychological stuff that you've had, feeling sensations of trauma, uh, allow you to change uh, emotions that may be persistent and just coming over and over back, like anger and living in anger, or sadness and living in sadness, anxiety or living in anxiety. There are practical tools that are actually that actually offer a accelerated way of healing that really can move you out of these situations, even if they were there for years. These practical tools that can really move you out in one session, in one hour. It's been many times that I've heard people, clients of mine and students of mine, saying, "Well, I've been working on this with a therapist for ten years. I've been working with this for with all this kind of alternative stuff or modern stuff for twenty years." I don't believe it in an hour, it's just gone. And it is. And here again, we're not talking about ailments that are chemical uh, ailments or, or, or injuries, but rather, again, persistent emotions that we tend to live in, which is really clear eventually will lead us to disease. Right. Sounds like obsessive thinking is the road to ruin. That's what it sounds like. Obsessive thinking is, yeah. Yeah, you know, that we have, that I myself, like you, you focus on certain things and you hold on to them, but you realize it's really holding on to you. Absolutely. And, and it's not only you either, Alec. 
There's yeah. a, it's the yeah. way the brain works. We hold on to one or two things, which are the emotions that want to prevail, the chemistry we want to feel secreted in the body so we can feed ourselves with that chemistry. It's almost like an addiction. Essentially, it is. It practically works the same way. That's why those thoughts are like, they come over and over and over, back over and over again. Um, and again, these tools, and Bridget, you have personally have experienced several of them being yeah, in the months of the training. I, mm -hmm. I was absolutely going to share because um, we are, we are uh, in our last three minutes, but I wanted to share personally since um, on the East End, you know, I, I co-founded this newspaper 27 years ago. I mean, my entire life, my entire adult life has been about truth seeking and fact finding. So if I can now be studying shamanism, I mean, talk about skepticism. Oh, my God. Right. So here mm -hmm. I am. And Ray is absolutely one of my mentors. And uh, I, I can vouch for the fact that he's the real deal, people. And um, I'm not and I have always also been a seeker, but I also am just as likely to call bullshit, you know, many, many times in my life and just like get up and walk out. I have not done that here. I'm so grateful that I somehow, whatever way, found my way to the Jaguar Path, uh, and it's thejaguarpath.com. And Ray, you and Nina, who Nina's also equally awesome, by the way, Alex. She like had a uh -huh. dojo in the main woods for 20 years, and I, and I like to say she could kill you with her finger if she wanted to, but she doesn't. <laughs> she's all beautiful and sweetness and light. And she's uh, the, uh, the sweetest. She's the sweetest black belt you'll ever meet. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, uh, but, but I really encourage everyone to, uh, you know, if, if they're interested in, in everything, and we haven't even talked about the power animals and why it's called the Jaguar Path and uh, all of these allies that you can have around you all the time. So you never feel alone. You never are isolated, uh, which is where we all are right now, because you always have your power allies and your power animals around you. It's just been amazing having you on the show, Ray. And, uh, and I just, of course, want to give a shout out again to the Jaguar Path. If anybody is interested or, or curious, please uh, do your own research. And Ray, you also have YouTube videos. There's there's all kinds of different ways that people can become more acquainted if this has caught their mm -hmm. ear. You've been listening with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolo. And, and Alec, um, how do you want to wrap this up? Well, I'll tell you what. Thank, thanks again for the conversation and, and for the wisdom. I know that we're living in uh, uncertain times. And, uh, and yet I see nothing but gifts in being forced to stop all of the things we think we control and accepting all of the realities of and, and the beauty of the world around us. So what, what do I think? I think that, you know, for those of you who celebrate uh, Easter, please have a happy Easter. And uh, for those of you who celebrate Passover, hopefully uh, you, uh, you got through the Seder and, and had a good time. But mostly for everybody on this planet at this moment, I, I do think we're at an inflection point where we get to actually appreciate the small things that, that tend to get lost in the hub, in, in the, um, you know, the racing to find something. So, so what would I say? Everybody, let's just try and be and not be in a rush. And everybody, please be well and stay well.